Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Allow the Holy Spirit to really search our hearts concerning this. In the Gospels, I see Jesus attracted to the weak, the least, the lame, the blind, and the the infirmed. You know, his harshest words, the harshest words that ever left the Savior's lips were reserved for the religious elite. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 1 Thessalonians. When Jesus walked this earth, he spent time with all kinds of people. He knew his time would be short, so it was important to share the gospel with everyone he met. Today, Pastor J.D. reminds us that Jesus saved his harshest words for the religious elite, those who missed the Messiah because they were too busy judging others. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. What Paul is doing here is painting a picture of what a healthy and loving church should be like, should look like. And I say loving because that's the common denominator in everything that we're going to see here and talk about today. It's the common denominator in everything he says, such that they all come from the fruit, singular, of love. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, you know it well, fruit, singular, is love. From love comes everything else, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, kindness, patience, (laughs) self-control, all of the above. It all comes as a result of the fruit of love. And that's what I want to talk about today. I found seven. You might find more. But seven characteristics that mark a healthy and loving church. The first one is in verses 12 and 13, and it's that a healthy church will respect the leaders, the pastors. Why are you looking at me like that? Please know that I'm sensitive to how this might sound self-serving, coming from the pastor, but the truth of the matter is those in position of authority are to be respected. God has called us to be in those positions, and those positions of authority in the church are to be honored and respected. So what I want to do is do a 10-week series. I'm just kidding. Just relax. Leaders are to be respected because of their position, not because of their personality. Notice what Paul says here. Very important. 
our respect as leaders is earned not because of who we are, but because of the hard work that we do. And it is hard work. The profound privilege comes packaged with a profound responsibility and accountability in those positions of authority. One day I will stand before God and give an account, and that is to be taken seriously. And James talks about that. Those desiring to be in those positions, it is hard work. The labor that is involved, and that is where the respect is earned. Let's move on. Some of you are saying, please, if you don't mind. (laughs) The second one is in the first part of verse 14, and this is, (laughs) we might need to spend a little bit of time on this one. It's that of warning the disruptors. Now, what Paul is saying, and in the original language, it kind of carries with it this idea of being out of line, out of order, almost like in a military sense. You're, you're, you're out of line. You're not following orders. You're disrupting. And that's what Paul is saying here. I have to say that this is one of the most difficult aspects of the ministry, dealing with people who cause problems, who disrupt, who cause trouble. Notice Paul says, we're to warn those who are idle (laughs) and disruptive. That's interesting. Here's what I'm thinking. It's usually the troublemakers that make trouble because they have way too much time on their hands. That's been my own personal experience. And it's usually those who are not busy about the things of God that end up being busybodies to those who are. You know, we've had occasion over the years in this church, it's been the hard thing, but it's been the right thing, where we've had to confront people. And we've done it biblically. We have a biblical template, a biblical model. Jesus himself in Matthew's gospel is recorded, chapter 15 verses, no, it's chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. And Jesus says, first, you're to go to that person one-on-one. If they don't receive it, then you take two or more witnesses. And if they still don't receive it, you take the church leadership. And if they still don't receive it, he says, have nothing to do with them. Wow. Titus says, warn a man once, a divisive man. Warn a man twice, third time, have nothing to do with him. Treat him as you would a, an employee of the IRS, a tax collector. Well, that's, is that bad? If you work for the IRS, we love you. I just want you to know that. But as overseers of this awesome privilege that is ours over the flock of God, it is our responsibility to create an environment that is conducive to worshiping God. And if somebody enters into our midst 
and they're causing problems. They're disruptors. They're divisive. (laughs) You'll forgive me for the bluntness with which I say this, but early on I incorporated the none, one, done principle, and I'll explain what that is. None, zero tolerance. One time, you're done. That's it. We're going to warn you. Biblically, we're going to confront you. But if you don't fall in line, you're out of here. That's it. Um, I am ferociously protective of this amazing and loving church. And it has to be a place where you're safe. And I tell you, if there's a wolf that comes in uh, wearing sheep's clothing, you can always spot them out. And uh, they're gone. They're out of here. And we've had occasion over the years to do that. Warning the disruptors. Here's the third one. It's in the second part of verse 14. And it's that we encourage the disheartened. Now I realize that this would seem like a firm grasp of the obvious. But you know what's sad? Instead of encouraging others, churches are known for condemning others. Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. Paul writing to the Romans in chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You'll forgive my referencing another personal experience, but what I've found over the years is that people in the church will oftentimes judge and accuse those who are discouraged. They'll either accuse them of having sin in their life, or not having enough faith in their life. My wife and I, this is many years ago when we were first married on the mainland, and we were infertile. It took us 10 years. We couldn't have children. The doctor said, you're probably going to need to adopt. And so we would go to church faithfully, and of course, <laughs> here's all of our friends. Uh, they're having baby after baby after baby after baby. The husband walks by, the wife sneezes, she gets pregnant. And that was hard for us. And if that weren't hard enough, there were those who began suggesting that, you know, the reason you can't have children is because of some sin in your life. Well, unconfessed sin. I even had a brother in Christ. I mean, it was, it was stunning. He actually, because I grew up with him as a childhood friend, he actually not only accused me of having sin in my life, he even went as far as pointing out the specific sin in my life. I'm like, wow, thank you. (laughs) Wow, where's the love? More recently, after our daughter Noel died, had a lady approach me and say to me that if I would have had more faith, my daughter Noel would not have died. And I got to tell you, I mean, it was, we were in the throes of grieving. It was just unspeakable pain and grief and sorrow. 
And at first I'm like, Lord, is that true? I, is it because I don't have enough faith? And is there sin in my life? I mean, it's so sad. Please know that I'm in no way suggesting that we accept and tolerate sin, but it's not condemnation. Conviction, yes. Condemnation, no. And how do you know the difference? Well, here's a litmus test, if you will. Satan will condemn. The Holy Spirit will convict. I know it's condemnation when it distances me from the Lord, and I know it's conviction when it draws me near to the Lord. And that's the litmus test. See, if I imagine God is angry, well then I'm, <laughs> I'm keeping my distance. And I think we do err greatly when we view our Heavenly Father through the lens of our earthly Father. I did that for many years as a young believer. I didn't have a good relationship with my dad. Uh, he was very strict, very hard, very absent. <laughs> and he was always angry at me. <laughs> of course, I probably gave him good reason to be <laughs> angry with me, I'm sure. But it was, it was like I wanted to sleep in and not wake up until he had already left the house, and I wanted to go to bed early before he came back to the house, because I just didn't want to, because he was always angry at me. And one of the things the Lord ministered to me is that my heavenly Father is not like that. He's not waiting, you know, with this wooden spoon. you got to love wooden spoons. He's not waiting with a wooden spoon to spank you. He's waiting with open arms to embrace you. The fourth one, it's in the third part of verse 14, and it's that of helping the weak. Again, it would seem like a firm grasp of the obvious, right? But sadly it's not. Instead of helping the weak, Christians avoid the weak. So I was asking myself, really inquiring of the Lord, why is it that we do that? Why is it that we don't want to associate with the, the least and the last? We want to associate instead of the, with the weak, we want to associate with the strong and the powerful. Why, why is that? Here's a thought. Innate within our sin nature, we see someone who is weak and helpless as having nothing to offer us. What can they do for us? See, it's not, what can we do for them? It's, what can they do for us? If, if they can't do anything for me, then I don't want anything to do with them. And that's why. We sort of distance ourselves and disenfranchise ourselves from those people. We want to associate with those people. How opposite to the nature of Jesus Christ. And we're the church of Jesus Christ. Shame on us. You know in the Gospels, and I don't mean to get up in anybody's grill and, you know, 
harp on this, but I think we would do well to allow the Holy Spirit to really search our hearts concerning this. In the Gospels, I see Jesus attracted to the weak, the least, the lame, the blind, and the the infirmed. You know, his harshest words, the harshest words that ever left the Savior's lips were reserved for the religious elite. I'm getting really convicted, so let's move on to the fifth one. (laughs) I'm going to get even more convicted on this one because dealing with patience. It's in the third part of verse 14 where Paul says, be patient with everyone. If you were to ask me what I thought was one of the greatest demonstrations of a loving church, this would be it. Let me say it this way. Show me a loving church where people love each other, and I'll show you a church where people are patient with each other. You know, that famous love chapter that we love to quote, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, at weddings, you know, they always, whenever I do a wedding, the couple wants me to, you know, 1 Corinthians, love is, love is, ah. Oh. And then I, I tell them I don't want to do that, and then they find somebody else to do the wedding. But um, there's actually a, a reason, because that chapter, that famous love chapter, is not what you think. The reason Paul wrote that by the Spirit of God was because the Corinthian church had no idea what love was. They thought they were being loving by accepting and tolerating open sexual sin in the church. And Paul basically says to them, that's not love. This is what love is. Hence, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And isn't it interesting that the first characteristic that Paul lists is love is patient. I'm very open with you. Some may accuse me rightfully of being too open, but it's just who I am. This is a big struggle for me. I'm so impatient. Oh my goodness. And so are you. So don't look at me all spiritual and everything. I'm just impatient. I, I, I tend to be impatient with people. Come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> and then the Lord is so faithful. He's always so faithful to remind me of how patient He is with me. And this is across the board, by the way. It applies to forgiveness. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll have a hard time forgiving somebody. And the Lord, just again, so faithful, so gentle. He's not harsh. He's a gentle and good shepherd, and he just, in that still, small, convicting voice of the Holy Spirit, says, J.D., what are you doing? I can't forgive them. I might forgive them, but I'll never forget. Oh, I see how it is. Can I just remind you of this list? Here here it is. It's, It's actually a scroll. It's going to take a while to unscroll it. Oh, what's that, Lord? <laughs> it's, wait, it's not done yet. 
uh, there it goes, the scroll. Those are all the things that I've forgiven you for. How patient have I been with you? How forgiving have I been of you? Well, I'm more convicted, so let's move on again. (laughs) The sixth one is in the first part of verse 15, and it's that we don't wrong when wronged. Paul says, don't pay evil with evil. If someone's wronged you, don't try to even the score. One of my all-time favorite quotes from Oswald Chambers is that it's not a matter of if I've been wronged, it's have I wronged. Boy, does that not change the whole complexion of the situation? It's not, have I been wronged? It's, have I wronged? And we're to forgive those who have trespassed against us, just as the Lord has forgiven us of our trespasses. Don't pay back wrong with wrong. The seventh and last one is in the second part of verse 15. And it's that we do good for everyone. Now, stay with me because what Paul says here can be easily missed, or even worse yet, dismissed. Notice he says, we're to always strive to do what is good for each other, but we're also to do what is good for everyone else. In other words, we're also to always strive to do what is good for those who are not part of the body of Christ. This is how we win people to Christ. How we treat people. Not just in the church. And oh, by the way, This does not just apply to the church, it applies in every arena of life. Everything we just talked about, it applies to the marriage, a loving and healthy marriage relationship. These are principles that you don't break, they break you when you go up against them. This is again a model, a, a template of what the church of Jesus Christ should be like and look like. 1 Thessalonians has already given us some great practical advice for living for Jesus. Toward the end of the Apostle Paul's letter, we find a few verses that sum it up well. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That may sound easy enough, but this attitude can be hard to hold on to when you're in the thick of a trial or find yourself being persecuted from all sides. When you're finding it difficult to rejoice and give thanks, you need to dive even deeper into Jesus. Through prayer, fellowship with other believers, and reading the Word, you can stand strong in the face of opposition and continue to speak the truth. Can we pray for you as you do this? We love being able to lift up our listeners to the Lord. 
You can connect with us by visiting our website in spiritandtruthradio.com and click on Contact under the About tab. We'll get in touch with you as soon as we can. You'll also find us on Facebook and Twitter and over on YouTube. Links to all of these are available at our website. We want to encourage you to find and begin regularly attending a church in your area, too. If you're near Kaneohe, come visit us. You'll find all the information you need, including service times and directions, to Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on our website. Again, that's in spiritandtruthradio.com. That website also houses all of Pastor J.D.'s teachings, including his weekly prophecy updates. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth study of 1 Thessalonians on In Spirit and Truth. Oh,